Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sample Size. The only news podcast that cares about science. I'm your host, Samantha Spears. And I'm your other host, Wildcard Cameron. So what's in the news that is the twos that we blues? Whoa, did you just come up with that? I did. Okay, that was, was fun. Good? Yeah, that was fun. I was. I thought you were just going to make fun of me. <laughs> I'm not expecting this positive <laughs> response. We have some good positive energy today. All right, but what is what's what's up? All right. Well, today we're going to cover some more coronavirus stuff. Yay. <laughs> Don't be too excited, Cameron. Oh, I'm so enthused. Let me just leave. Uh, well, I feel like every time we do a coronavirus episode, we have to then do a follow-up episode that's extra stuff that didn't fit into the main episode. So that's what this is. It's literally like a chain of episodes. Like, it's not like we make one episode and we need to respond to it. It's in that response we need to do another response. Yes, and it keeps going and going forever and ever. Like the blockchain or the Energizer Bunny. Yes, like a block bunny. Yes. Wouldn't blockchain be better if it had more to do with rabbits? Probably. Food for thought. All right. <laughs> but seriously, COVID's bad. 700,000 deaths in just the U.S. last I heard. Yeah, starting off a real bummer, Cameron. Yeah. It's I mean, we have vaccines and stuff. It's a whole thing. Yeah, you're going to go. Yes. Okay, so this episode is extra stories that didn't fit into our last coronavirus episode. So first, I'm going to talk about an NIH study, then the fight over masks in schools, and finish it out with some wacky social media posts debunking COVID misinformation. My favorite kind of social media posts. So are you ready for me to begin? Yes, let's do it. Okay, first up, the NIH study. So the National Institute of Health, or NIH, did a study recently to estimate how many people were infected with COVID during the spring and summer of 2020 in the U.S., now, the study was released late June, and they found that more people were infected with the coronavirus in the summer than previously reported. The way the NIH estimated this is they looked at about 8,000 individuals from across the U.S., and from each participant, they got a blood sample, either by the participant getting a sample kit and then returning it to the NIH with a dab of dried blood, or the participant actually went to a location and had blood drawn. And this was in an 11-week span between May 10th and July 31st, 2020. So the researchers then used an enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay to detect antibodies to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the thing that's causing the coronavirus pandemic, and found that 304 out of the about 8,000 blood samples were seropositive, meaning that they contained antibodies against the virus. So from that number I just spit out, they estimated about 4.6% of U.S. adults had undiagnosed COVID during their study period, which corresponds to an estimated 4.8 undiagnosed cases of COVID. Okay, so let me see if I can just distill the TLDR version of this. People are really bad at knowing whether or not they had COVID. So what they did was they sent out a bunch of test kits to get people to return blood samples because they need to look for antibodies of COVID because it's not like there's going to be a lot of other places they can check for prior infection. Yeah. And then based on the percentage of people who returned the um, samples and tested positive for the antibodies, they were then able to infer from that sample to the larger population what the likelihood that everyone, especially people who weren't reporting COVID, actually did get COVID. Yes, exactly. And that 4.6% of U.S. adults having undiagnosed COVID, that estimated number, 
That also translate to being an additional 16.8 million cases by July alone, which for some context, the estimate of COVID cases in the U.S. in mid-July was 3 million. Okay, that's bonkers. Yeah, that's a lot more cases. That's a lot more cases. That's... Millions. Millions. Yes. Oh my, I'm sad. Continue. (laughs) So that's that extra study, I guess. Let me just drop that on everyone. It was probably worse in 2020 than we thought. I actually like the study because recently I've been doing a lot of work with inferential like statistics and what you do on a small sample, it doesn't linearly apply to the whole population. You have to do some finagling with the numbers to make sure it actually applies. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's really interesting because... I'm I'm curious if this number accounts for just like who was participating in the study? Was it truly a random sample? Because I feel like there's certain parts of the population, especially the ones that are less open to vaccines and less open to taking COVID seriously, who might not be as responsive to this kind of study. So I'm wondering how they might have had to finagle the numbers to account for them. I would have to look it up again. And this will definitely be in the show notes for those of you who want to look up the actual report. I'm pretty certain it was a some sort of representative sample, but you have a point in that, yeah, this is 8,000 individuals they tested, and that is a lot of extrapolation. Is that the right word? Extrapolation. Yeah, that's that's a lot to get from out of these 8,000 people to we're going to apply it to the millions Literally over the population like in the U.S. 400 million Americans. Yeah. I think is what the current, that's including kids, just FYI. Yeah, and then like, I work on surveys. <laughs> I, I'm a statistician. A I specialize in yeah. surveys. Yeah. So sample size is always a big deal. And yeah, that's they probably would need a lot more to actually have a lot of confidence in that number. But also, I understand why it's only 8,000 because you're having to get blood samples from people. So good luck getting, you know, 500,000 people wanting to give you blood samples. Yeah, just for context, for anyone who doesn't know, Sam's so committed to surveys that when she leaves the house, she can't leave without her survey pin and her clipboard holster. So it's, it's a whole <laughs> – takes an extra 30 minutes. Oh, yes, because I'm leaving the house very much these yes, days. just all the time <laughs> to talk to the two squirrels outside. <laughs> all right, so that was the first of three fun stops on our tour of COVID Roundup. What's the next? All right, the next topic is the fight over masks in schools. Ooh, this sounds like it's going to be a straw man argument if I ever heard one. <laughs> okay, so anyway, anyone keeping up with U.S. news has probably heard at least one story about school districts fighting over mask mandates. And I can't tell if the debate is so intense because of misinformation and people not believing that the coronavirus is serious or because people are just sick of COVID restrictions. Or maybe it's both. No matter the reason, the debate over masks in schools has been intense, with parents getting in yelling matches at school board meetings and threatening violence. And it's been so bad that school board members are getting death threats and some are resigning. And to be clear, school board members are largely unpaid volunteers, traditionally former educators or parents. So getting threats of violence is not really expected from these people. So I know, first of all, this is not just a thing in the U.S. I know other countries are dealing with this, like even Canada. But it's like I all I know is that the U.S. has a particularly garbage education system in terms of <laughs> we just don't pay our teachers what they're worth. Mm. And a lot of the stuff that goes into making sure schools and school districts are good are ignoring the objective, implicit racial and socioeconomic problems that go into it. 
just the fact that like most of the people in the process are volunteering and they just want to help the kids. It's just so frustrating. This goes beyond my like opinions of mask mandates. It's just like, why do parents always have to show up when it's like the most stupid nonsensical thing? They can never show up when they're trying to like vote to increase like funding for schools or vote to do the bare minimum to make sure that the school system is doing better for their kids, but they have to show up to complain about masks. Yeah, it's uh, yes. School school stuff is tricky. School board stuff is very tricky. Yeah, my mom being a former teacher, I have a lot of extra feelings and baggage related all this, all these issues. And uh, I know sometimes it's parents trying to be like very good and you get excited about the wrong things. No, I'm saying they're trying to look out for their kids and their kids' well-being. But mm-hmm. also sometimes it also just seems like parents wanting to force their own personal views and not really caring about the child and caring more about that. So it's just mm, it's always a toss up of what gets popular at school board meetings and what doesn't. All right. So my waxing poetic side, what, what's the meat of what's actually going on here? The meat is that this mask debate is so heated that people are starting to get violent and that's bad. So here's In a America. It's a Tuesday. But yeah. Uh, So here's a quote from one school board member who resigned mid-August. Quote, when I got on, I knew it would be difficult, but I wasn't ready or prepared for the vitriolic response that would occur, especially now that the pandemic seemed to just bring everything out in a very, very harsh way. It made it impossible to really do any kind of meaningful work. I hope that there's like a sort of takeaway from this, which is like if you're aware of your own county's school board system or you know people who are starting to talk about mask mandates and stuff. Make sure that you're giving them enough information to not go around giving death threats to people. No one should get death threats. Let's start with that. No one should probably ever get death threats. But this seems like a case of people who are misinformed thinking that masks are doing some sort of cynical dark magic on their children and then using that to justify incredibly abusive language against people who really are not getting paid at all to deal with this crap. Yeah. Also, I should point out, neither the person throwing the death threat nor the person receiving it are medical professionals, but the person getting the death threat has looked at way more actual medical research than the person who's sending the death threat. Let's remember this. No argument like this happened where the person throwing the death threat did as much research to make sure this is actually important for the kids as the person receiving the death threat. Okay. And what I think is something that's making all this worse is really politicians undermining the authority of school districts. So let's talk about Florida. (laughs) My hometown. So before school started, Governor Ron DeSantis issued an executive mandate saying that Florida school districts were not allowed to require mask use in schools without allowing parents to opt out. And the order went so far as to threaten schools funding if they decided to issue a mask mandate. Well, clearly some school districts decided to defy the order and issue a mandate anyways, leading to Florida to withhold salaries for some school board members, leading to court cases over whether the executive order is legal or not. So in August, a Leon County circuit judge ruled that school districts have the right to set mask mandates as long as they have, quote, compelling state interest and a narrowly tailored plan of action. What does any of that mean? (laughs) That means nothing to anyone. (laughs) I could take that language and use it to like it could have to do with taping pizza to your mouth and it would somehow still apply just as much as any of the language <laughs> in there about masks. I I don't want to get into a discussion of our legal system and legal language. 
<laughs> like, that's kind of what that is. I, I had the same reaction of like, well, I feel like you could argue anything is compelling state interest or narrowly tailored, but I don't know. <laughs> or you could argue anything isn't that. So, of course, after this judge in Leon County made the decision, basically, school districts, you are okay to put a mask mandate. You can defy the executive order and do this thing. Well, of course, the state appealed that decision. And before the appeal was heard, the judge did order on September 8th that the state must immediately stop enforcing the ban, arguing that the state had failed to prove that an appeal would be successful and enforcing the ban would cause irreparable harm. But then mid-September, the appeals court overruled the other judge's order. So now the ban is back on and the fight is going to the Florida Supreme Court. (laughs) Florida Supreme Court, famous for making just the best decisions, always doing a great job looking out for the, the safety and sanctity of all of Americans. So this is just an insane legal battle. And this isn't the only legal battle. Like there's also a suit saying mask mandates violate the Americans with Disabilities Act that is getting a bit of traction and is still going through the courts. So like, it's just- That's nonsensical. It's just, uh, yes. So uh, A mask uh, mandate is going through the courts. Uh, okay. We in schools. Be, we have to be clear about something. Mask mandates apply to able-bodied people who can actually participate in them. If you have pre-existing medical conditions and anything that might go into inhibiting your ability to participate in masks, you're already kind of operating on the fringes of interacting like the rest of us would during COVID times. But the Americans with Disability Act, it is specifically targeted at ensuring that Americans with disability are able to participate in just regular life, like making sure that they have the resources they need to be able to go to the grocery store or have a house that they can actually use bathroom and kitchen, everything in it. And just, it's an awesome law that every so often someone tries to find a way to say like this group that is full of people who usually agree, like they're people who have disabilities probably agree with mask mandates and saying that this affects them out of nowhere just seems like an excuse to bring this as an appeal. Yeah, it does seem that way. I haven't exactly read over the suit, but from the bit I glazed in it just being mentioned in an article, that was the exact impression I got. Also, there's like an irony here, which is if you have a disability that prevents you from wearing a mask, the entire point of a mask mandate is to help protect you by making everyone else wear masks yeah. so that you won't get sick because you have a legitimate reason where you can't wear a mask. Yeah. And if that was really the issue, then the executive order by the government would be school districts. You can put a mask mandate in, but make sure there's a way that if a child is not able to wear a mask, they are still able to go to school and function. But that's not what's happening. (laughs) What the mandate actually is, is no, you have to have parents be able to opt out of it. Those are completely different things. Yeah. The parents opting out thing I think is so weird because like there's just so many ways that like the parents opting out seem like they just is like a meaningless platitude that like most parents either will not ever think about or will vitriolically like demand apply to everyone in the school as though it has should go beyond their kid. And I should point out like so far every child I've interacted this is very anecdotal. Every child I've interacted with or seen interacting with about mask mandates is like they're very pro mask. They think they look like like ninjas and like cool superheroes and they love wearing masks. So I'm I'm not actually seeing the kids argument here. Yeah, and like also I just know from friends who are teachers 
kids can be bad about wearing masks. Like, they do have to be told, like, continuously sometimes, oh, you got to put your mask up, you got to do this, whatever. But to your point, from what I know, and just, it is mostly anecdotal, it isn't really the kids being, oh, I don't want to wear this mask. It's more of the adults being, I don't want my child wearing this mask. So this whole fight just seems more of a not about the kids issue. It's about the adults issue. It's them bleeding their fight over into schools. Yeah. And I should point out that your comment about like kids have a hard time wearing masks. Oh, that definitely applies to adults too. I still go to the grocery store and it's like, there are people not wearing masks and there are people wearing masks. But what I still can't fathom, it's been almost, we're coming up to like a year and a half now. How are you still not know how to wear a mask? If it's not covering your nose and mouth, you're not doing anything. What are you doing? Yes. And I would also like to point out my views real quick on whether school districts should be allowed to have mask mandates is that, yeah, I think it should be up to the school district if they have a mask mandate or not. I feel like I want to remind people that schools have a lot of power over what students wear. No spaghetti straps. Yeah. Not only do some schools have actual uniforms, but even the ones that don't have uniforms have pretty strict rules albeit usually sexist rules, over what students can wear of your shirt has to be this many fingers or you have to put your fingers by your side and that's how low your shorts can, your shorts have to be longer than that kind of stuff. And anyway, they have all these rules. So why do you think they don't have the power to say your child has to put a face covering? I don't get it. And at least this time it's for a safety reason. This also kind of bleeds over into the vaccine mandates, too, where it's like your kid should get vaccinated. It's like your kid should be vaccinated against like six other things before they start even being in schools. Otherwise, school districts won't even allow them in. Yes, that is that is a whole nother thing, because there's also a raging debate over whether people should be required to have vaccines or not. And yes, I also like to point that out, is that especially in the U.S., I think it's true in other countries that to go to public school you generally have to have your childhood vaccines. You have to have proof of it. Mm -hmm. It depends on the state, how relaxed they are, whether you have religious exemptions or if you have philosophical exemptions is another one. It kind of depends on, well, it just depends on the state and how much anti-vax bills have gone through. But in any case, there is definitely a procedure in place for people being required to have vaccines. So I don't know why this is a surprise to anyone. All right, this... I, I like this strong energy. Seriously, if you are participating in a school board system where this is a thing, please just please, if you can, pipe up on the side of science and how it's important that we do our best now to curtail the risk to not just the other kids, but the teachers who have to be there. Like it's really easy to look at mask mandates and forget the fact that like they're there to try to protect as many people as possible. If you expect your kids to be able to go to school, you shouldn't also have to be putting the administrators and the teachers at risk. They're not getting paid enough. And that's a great segue to one other thing I wanted to add, which is that this ban in Florida has potentially already done harm. Because, for example, Hillsborough County Public Schools held an emergency vote mid-August, issuing a temporary 30-day mask mandate after 5,599 students and 316 staff members were either tested positive or were exposed to COVID since school starting. Hillsborough County, my God, I... I'm I'm just going to say, as a former Pinellas County boy, we had our beefs, (laughs) but you guys, kudos to you. 
high five from across the bay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is a very niche joke for a very, 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 very niche segment of our audience. Like two people. But the point is COVID has still running wild in schools. So anything you could do to prevent that is probably a wise decision by a school district. And on that note, is it time to get into other forms of information having to do with dispelling COVID-19 hypocrisy? Uh, Yes. I do want to add that the CDC recommends children wear masks in schools, especially ones that are too young to be vaccinated, and that President Biden has said he'll use funds from the American Rescue Plan to pay back educators whose funding gets cut from states threatening to withhold funding. I mean, it's nice to see that the rescue plan is actually going to be used on things that matter. So that, that's good. Oh, got him. Yeah, got him. Jay Bizzle, we're coming <laughs> from you. Yeah, this joke will never die. <laughs> All right. Let's get to some wild social media posts. The only kind of social media posts I like. Let's go. And this segment is going to be actual social media reports from government agencies trying to stop the spread of COVID misinformation. I got two of them up for you. First up is a tweet from the FDA, and Cameron, this is going to be an interactive portion. I'm going to have you read this. You are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. (laughs) This is from the U.S. FDA at U.S. underscore FDA, all caps. Why you should not use ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19. There's a joke to be made here about sheeple and (laughs) taking literal sheep dewormer. (laughs) Yes. And the picture, I love the picture on the article that they have along with it, which is like a veterinarian with a horse. And then the other picture is like a doctor examining like an older gentleman. Oh, my God. I just realized like (laughs) we're going to start having like drug ads that are just trying to sell like animal medicine to the American public. Like consult your veterinarian if ivermectin is right for you. Oh, no. Yes. And then they also had a follow-up tweet where they had another article, which is just an FAQ, COVID-19 and ivermectin intended for animals. That is the name of that article. Fantastic. Let's be honest, though. The people who are taking ivermectin are never going to read this or see these tweets. And that's probably the sad part of this segment. So here's a bit of the background on what's this all about. Ivermectin has been circulating around social media as a cure for COVID. For context, it is a drug that's used to treat certain internal and external parasites in various animal species, and it is certainly not approved to treat or prevent COVID. And I'm not quite sure how this started spreading as a COVID cure. Like, I think there may have been a small study that people took out of context. But I do know there have been some scientists and doctors promoting its use, including Brett Weinstein, an evolutionary biologist who touted the drug on Tucker Carlson, and Dr. Pierre Corey, a pulmonary and critical care specialist in Milwaukee, that endorsed the drug on social media and later got fired from his position. I like how everything you said, every single word made me angrier than the last word until you said, and then he was fired. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like somewhere around Tucker Carlson, I starting to reach peak. I can't believe these people are considered professionals. Yeah. And if our listeners didn't already know, please do not take this. It is not a proven cure for COVID. There are already existing COVID cures that are much better. They're actual treatments for COVID that you can get if you go to a hospital. So please do not buy and take this drug. Side effects that could be associated with ivermectin include 
skin rash, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, stomach pain, facial or limb swelling, neurologic adverse events like dizziness, seizures, confusion, sudden drop in blood pressure, severe skin rash potentially requiring hospitalization, and liver injury, also hepatitis. Also the potential to be treated as actual sheeple. <laughs> also the potential you're going to be treated like a cow. Exactly. <laughs> what makes me extremely upset about ivermectin's proliferation is what it just demonstrates a fundamental lack of not even science literacy, just like the ability to do basic research. Anti-parasite medication has like nothing to do with antibacterial or antiviral medication. Yes. They're fundamentally targeting different things. A parasite is usually one or very few specific organisms. Like a, a tapeworm is a parasite. Like a bug. Yeah. A literal physical complex organism inside your body. Whereas bacteria are single-celled organisms. And then viruses skirt the line between life and not life as like protein machinery that just show up and mess up your entire insides. <laughs> yes. And each one of them requires completely different tools for your body to be able to handle them. Because the things that work on destroying and breaking down the protein shell of a virus don't have a lot to do with the complex mechanics of a parasite. <laughs> so why would ivermectin help you fight COVID? Yeah, it's it's wacky. I don't get it. What's sad is that, well, one, we know people take this seriously because they're spreading it on social media. But also we know people take this seriously because I don't have a source for this. I do know I've heard before that like ivermectin has been like cells of it's been going up or like it's been hard to find for veterinarians and such. And I do have a source for this. Mississippi has already reported a hospitalization from someone taking the drug. So please, everyone, do not take this. You could say it got pretty bad for them. <laughs> oh my God. I, was, I wasn't sure where I wanted to put in that joke. <laughs> and I think this is the perfect spot. All right. So let's move on to our next and last tweet. This one is from the CDC related to pregnancy and fertility. So let me pull this up. Cameron, I will also have you read this. Accumulating evidence shows no... Wait, what What sound does a tweet have? What is the tone of a tweet? What do you mean, what is the tone of a tweet? Just know. read it. Okay, fine. Accumulating evidence shows no increased risk of miscarriage after COVID-19 vaccination during early pregnancy. New at JAMA underscore current findings can inform discussions about COVID-19 vaccination during pregnancy between pregnant people and their healthcare providers. I should point out people is spelled PPL. And then there's a bit.ly link because there's a bit.ly link. And then there's like an image of a woman with – she's pregnant and it says protect yourself and your baby from COVID-19, get vaccinated. And there's a CDC logo. And it's actually like a really nice to look at tweet, I got to say. I'm not used to my government agencies producing good tweets. Usually it's something about the CIA pretending that they had nothing to do with overthrowing a government. <laughs> So this is nice. I don't know what at JAMA underscore current is. I'm guessing this is. Well, JANA's JAMA is the. Wait, is it the Journal of the American Medical Association? That makes sense. It says JAMA is an international peer reviewed general medical journal published weekly online and in print. Yeah. So, yeah, that's. And to be clear, JAMA is spelled J-A-M-A. And JAMA.com sends you to a website that also refuses to answer <laughs> what the acronym is. <laughs> Okay, so so maybe maybe I got the, the the journal acronym right. Maybe I didn't. We'll never know. 
right. Somehow objectively more benign than the actual misinformation we've been discussing on this episode. <laughs> All right. So let me give you some context about what that CDC tweet was all about. So it's natural for people to be concerned about how medicine will interact with pregnancy. Like there's a lot of medicine you can't take when you're pregnant. So being concerned about vaccination during pregnancy seems reasonable. But COVID misinformation had basically capitalized on this fear to spread worries about not just pregnancy, but infertility in general. And to be clear, the COVID vaccines have not been shown to cause infertility, and having COVID is definitely more harmful than having the vaccine. But that hasn't stopped misinformation from claiming that the vaccine causes infertility. So basically, I hope the big takeaway from this segment is that vaccines are safe, COVID is bad, please trust your doctor and health agencies on what you should and shouldn't do to prevent COVID, not social media. This one, like, I hate to say it, but I kind of get it. I get why this one would proliferate more than other ones because, like, when it comes to most of the other things where, like, I demand you do something and I do something, we all do something because, like, it will help us. But, like, kids are kind of like this weird thing that every parent, especially when you're, like, having your first kid, like, you're terrified Mm because you don't know, like, everything you do is going to be the difference between them turning out as, like, the next Jesus or Hitler. And there's, like, no (laughs) in-between in your mind. And you think that if you get the vaccine or you do this or that it's going to lead to terrible health outcomes for your kids or causing some sort of horrible thing or something that you consider as a horrible thing that other people probably would never care about. And so, like, I get why that fear in particular would happen for preventing vaccinations, especially because the alternative is just try real hard not to get COVID and don't get the vaccine. And you know that, like, people who haven't had the vaccine have been having kids for thousands of years. and Their kids turned out fine, except for the actual Hitler. So that's... (laughs) So for them, it's a little less of a gamble. But at the end of the day, it's really easy to use this propaganda to try to dissuade people from the fact that if you get the virus, there's a high probability you will be hospitalized with a respiratory issue that not only puts your life in danger, but definitely puts your child's life in danger. Yes. And it's like being concerned when you're pregnant, completely reasonable. But then extrapolating that to like, oh, does the vaccine cause infertility? Like, no, the vaccine does not cause infertility. Where did you get that? <laughs> it's sometimes some of these things are like, where where did you even think that would be a thing? Or where did you get that? No, people have had the vaccine and have kids. Like, It's also upsetting that like the Venn diagram of people who are spreading this kind of vaccines will screw up your baby's life and the spread and implementation of Texas's archaic abortion ban is basically a circle. Oh, no. Like, let's not pretend for a moment that these are at the same ideological camps. And again, I want to stress, like, the main thing is, like, the infertility thing is the Mm -hmm. main misinformation going around. Because that's the thing that's, like, it's a lot larger group of people (laughs) that infertility affects than pregnancy affects. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't have a government tweet for this or even an actual tweet on this, but the other thing of people spreading misinformation of like, oh, the vaccine's going to change your DNA. Yeah, your DNA and genetic material. Oh, my God. We literally have interacted with people like this. And then it'll pass on through when you're like, you know, germline infection. Yes. And then like, it's like, no, wait, no, 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 guys. No. (laughs) So for anyone who doesn't know, your germline refers to cells that you pass on hereditarily to your children and nothing about the COVID-19 vaccines, any of them 
has been linked in any way to any sort of germline manipulation whatsoever. There just is nothing about COVID-19 vaccines and any empirical evidence has been related to anything that would affect your children or your ability to be childbearing or anything you would pass on to your children. Yes. I also just think all that's a little funny of like the vaccine's going to change my DNA because one, I don't think people really understand DNA or the difference between DNA and RNA. But also (laughs) is that if you thought of it a little bit, how vaccines work in order to have especially like the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines is to use your cells machinery Mm -hmm. in order to produce the particles that are part of the COVID virus sequence. And then so your immune system will recognize it, fight it, create antibodies so that if you do run across the COVID SARS-CoV-2 virus, then your body is prepared to fight it immediately and you'll feel like no symptoms. You won't be spreading it. Everything will be great hunky-dory. So that's how a vaccine works. And it's like, if you think of how a virus works, a virus works by the virus comes in, it goes into your cell, it uses your cell's machinery to make a whole bunch of other viruses, and then it explodes that cell. And Mm. then those viruses run wild and the same thing repeats. So it's like, If people just thought about it a little bit, the vaccine does the same thing a virus does. So why do you think the vaccine changes your DNA, but the virus is okay? Like I just. Yeah, because one of them isn't exploding your cells for fun and then making those cells explode other cells. Yes. And people don't know the difference between DNA and RNA. They are not the same. (laughs) Like we've I mean, we've done no shortage. Callback time. Yes. No shortage of episodes explaining how, first of all, like. This is fundamental biology stuff that most people either don't remember or never learned because American school system. So, like, it's easy to understand why misinformation like this proliferates because, like I just pointed out, not understanding that stuff used to fight parasites is not the same stuff used to fight viruses is a fundamental failing of how we explain biology to children or adults. Mm -hmm. And then – just fear-mongering without trying – like that's the entire point of this podcast. The entire reason we wanted to make a, this podcast, we're so sick of people just saying ivermectin is just a thing out there that people are taking without doing the bare minimum to explain why that's, first of all, stupid beyond all reason. <laughs> but second and more importantly, not explaining why ivermectin doesn't make sense in the first place is kind of like the entire point. And like I'm, I'm sensing we're getting to the end here. Yeah, we're at the end. So the, I really – dear listener, you do not realize this right now. You are the greatest hope we have as a species in fighting COVID <laughs> because what I need you to do is every single time you encounter these people, especially in your family, do not chastise them because I've tried that approach. It only gets people mad. Oh, my goodness. You know they're smart. You care about people. You care about people in your life, your friends, your family. When they start spouting this kind of nonsense and you can identify it, take time to help them think through what they're actually saying. Take the time to just – I'm sure you can find no shortage of resources or other podcasts that like will help with critical – communication skills and stuff like that. But what I'm hope my plea to you is every time you encounter these people who are making misinformation and more upsettingly death threats to people in school boards and your relatives and convincing people to take sheep dewormer, try to help them critically think about what they're trying to do. And as calmly and patiently as you can, because I know we're all very short on patience, just try to help them see the light. Even if it's just one person you help, that one person's life, could literally be saved. This got really preachy. It did. 
But that's a great end to this episode. Thank you, Cameron, for that summary and for that directive. Literally, there's like nothing we can do about this other than be vigilant and try to help the people we care about. Yes. If you don't care about them, I mean, like you could still be a good Samaritan. I might get you some brownie points <laughs> with God, I guess. Oh, my but. goodness. <laughs> such, such weird energy. If you would like to look up all the things I talked about, all of my sources are in the show notes, along with Scott's information. Thank you, Scott. One who makes our audio sound perfect and smooth. All of his information is in the show notes and all of our information, like our Twitter handle and our email, in case you want to reach out to us and tell us what episodes you would like to hear and what stuff you would like us to cover in the future. Like, seriously, if you have a question, do you have a question about COVID? Do you have a question about any science story you heard? Do you have a question about technology? Do you have a question about something that you think logically we could answer for you or might have fun investigating and producing an episode? Let us know. We're happy to engage with you. We got Twitter handles. I'm at Wildcard Cameron anywhere you could possibly think to look for someone to be annoying. We have sample size show everywhere else that people are usually less annoying. We are always excited to hear from you guys and we appreciate everyone who leaves us comments and reviews and all the other good stuff because they do help us out. Until next time, everyone stay safe. And don't forget to take care of yourself and if you can, someone else. Bye. Bye.